Before we dive into today's episode, we do have a little PSA. Anik and I want to start off by addressing the elephant in the room. By elephant, I mean coronavirus. We hope that everyone has been safe and following the news to an extent, and most importantly, staying home. I'm quarantined in San Francisco at my parents' home, and yes, it's been difficult to be social distancing, but all I can think about is how we're all in this together and how necessary it is in order to flatten the curve. I was in New York City, but I was brought back to my hometown. I live in a 400-square-foot apartment, and like the guidelines said to, I quarantined for most of the week last week, only leaving once to the drugstore. My family decided that if this is the situation, I should be at home, and we're still taking isolation steps just in case I've been exposed. We hope you're all taking care of yourselves, staying home, watching your mental health, and doing what you need to do to be happy, healthy, safe, and secure. Also, a huge thank you to the medical personnel, grocery store owners, post office workers, social services, pharmacy workers, and other essential employees who are out there and working so hard to keep us safe. We are behind you, and we thank you so much. This time can be quite difficult for everyone, so make sure to check out The Woke Daisy on Instagram to see some tips on how to manage anxiety during this pandemic and how to keep busy with some suggestions from both Annika and I. Be safe, everyone. Now back to the episode. This is The Woke Daisy. Hello, TW Dears, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Woke Daisy. Today's topic was one that was requested from one of our loyal listeners. We usually wait till we get a lot of requests for a certain topic before we go ahead and research into it, but this one caught our eye immediately. We're talking about the Kama Sutra. When I hear the word Kama Sutra, the first thing that goes through my mind is crazy sex book with lots of positions and ones that combine acrobatics and even yoga. Only wild people attempt this shit. And this is how most of the West actually thinks. But the Kama Sutra covers a lot more than what meets the Western eye. And to call the Kama Sutra this spicy sex book is actually doing it an injustice. It's an ancient Hindu text. Did you guys know that only about 20% of the Kama Sutra is actually sex positions and lovemaking? In a blog on Mind Valley by Natasha Wanderley, she described the Kama Sutra as a guide on the art of love and living virtuously, and we couldn't agree more with that definition. It was fetishized by Richard Burton in the 1900s to make it seem like brown people were the sex-crazed, effeminate population, but truthfully, it's not like that at all. Some of the topics covered in the sacred text include the philosophy and nature of love, family life, triggers of desire, self-care, proper grooming, balancing feminine and masculine energy, and so much more. But before we get into these subtopics, what exactly does the Kama Sutra mean? So the word Kama in Sanskrit means desire. And what's important here is to note that desire can be made up of so many different things, including sensual things and aesthetic desires. And in most religions, sexual desire is considered a taboo. I mean, we did a whole episode on this, but in Hinduism, Kama is one of the four goals of Hindu life. Kama is followed by Artha, which is abundance and success, Dharma, which is virtue and truth, and Moksha, which is like a release into becoming one with God. Curious to know before we move on to the second term, what pillar of Hindu life holds the most weight in your life currently? I mean, we can do a whole episode around this, but since we're on the topic. That is a really good question. I wanted to say Artha, which is, you know, the abundance and the success and professionally, you know, just totally killing the game. But 
now I'm not so sure because Dharma is really important too, truth and virtue and being a good person and integrity. I don't know. What do you think? What is what is your uh, pillar that you're kind of focused on right now? I think they all go hand in hand, like you said. I've honestly never even heard about these pillars in so much depth as I have talking to you, actually. But I would definitely say Artha is my current one because it's about success, profession, trying to find out what my next career move is. And I think that's super important to me currently in my life. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because they do go hand to hand and they do rely on each other. And, you know, you can't really have one without the other. And so it's really tough to just pick one. But when you talk about these pillars, why are they so important to people? Like, why are these the four pillars versus other um, pillars that people can make up or say that these other categories hold more weight in their life versus Artha, Dharma, Moksha, etc.? I actually don't know the answer to that. But I would say that the reason that these are the most important is because they probably are the most all-encompassing. If you think about abundance and success, it doesn't necessarily mean money. It could also mean being able to eat or having health. and Being able say, to provide for your family. Exactly. And if you're saying dharma, that doesn't necessarily just mean your duty in life and being the best person that you can. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, taking care of your parents. It does mean those things. But it also means being full of integrity, not causing drama, being a virtuous person, not lying. You know, there's so many different things that go into that. So I definitely think it's far more encompassing to use these. And there's also loose translations, right? Like it's really hard to translate English or Sanskrit words into English and actually get the full meaning of what they're supposed to be representing or what they're supposed to be. Exactly. What does sutra mean now? So sutra is a line or a thread in Sanskrit. And in this case, I guess it's kind of referring to the actual text. It's a thread of verses or they're sewn together. And did you actually know that the Kama Sutra was written by the sage way back when the goal of it was being a compilation of sexual teachings and wisdom as a form of meditation? I mean, if you asked me before we researched this episode, I would have laughed at the thought of a sex book being used for meditation purposes, but now I can see it. But the Kama Sutra is divided into seven parts, and we'll be briefly going over them for all of you listeners. And the first part is an intro and background that talks about the four pillars of Hindu life that Anika and I were just talking about. It's general principles on how to acquire knowledge and live honorably. So next, we have the part that everybody's interested in, sexy time. The second part talks about primeval pornographic ideas that detail 64 different types of sexual acts, like like embracing or kissing or slapping or moaning, sexual positions, and lots of forms of erotica. Nahal, have you ever checked out this portion of the Kama Sutra? No, but I am a little curious what you mean by other forms. I only thought those were the forms. Have I been living (laughs) under a rock or something? But funny story, I was actually dating this guy in high school, and for Valentine's Day, he thought it would be funny to get me this book called a Snuggie Sutra. And yes, it's exactly like how it sounds. It's a book filled with sex positions you can do in a Snuggie. And I was scarred for life. And follow up. My mom found this book in my room back in high school and took it away from me. And I'm not complaining, but I haven't gotten it back since. But recently I went to my parents' room and I found it in her bedside drawer. So, uh, mom and dad, I don't really know what you've been up to. <laughs> I'm no kidding. Way. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, uncle and auntie are getting busy and they clearly have more of a love life than we do right now. um i think that this is just so interesting like everybody talks about sex in wild ways but there's actually some really creative positions here and it's not just pleasure it's like the entire experience it's sort of this manual that helps you find what works for you which is what we've been saying since we started talking about sex on this podcast explore experiment find out what works for you and whether you're straight or lgbtq there's something for everyone and you can definitely use toys to emulate some of those positions 
Completely agreed. But the third section now of the Composition talks about living life as a bachelor and how to court a woman for marriage. Obviously, these tips don't work for the modern and digital era. Shout out to dating apps. But they are more focused on the astrological compatibility and caste systems. Speaking of astrology, I'm a huge astrology person. I, use this <laughs> I can app- attest to that. I can definitely <laughs> attest to that. I use this app called CoStar right now that was built through NASA to check my horoscope. And it's almost always accurate. Like, I check it every day. And I like to check my boyfriend's horoscope and see our compatibility. And call me crazy, but we, if we ever get into an argument, I always tell him, I knew we were going to argue you because I read our charts this morning. Okay, you are crazy, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) It might sound antiquated, but you know, did you know that sometimes whenever they check for astrology for weddings, you know, we have like Jyotish and people who like come in and kind of tell you what the auspicious times are. They're also looking for the best times to consummate a marriage after the wedding. Astrology (laughs) for our wedding has also been a total adventure. There were two months this year where Hindus weren't supposed to get married. And of course, we wanted September and that date falls flat in between the two months that we're not supposed to be doing anything. So we ended up with a different date. But astrology is supposed to play a part in everything. And I mean everything about a wedding, including the wedding night. I'm really against, though, the whole Kunli thing. Like, I told my parents, if I get married to someone, we are not matching Kunlis. You're not looking at our horoscopes. Because I don't want them to think if a marriage doesn't work out or there are arguments in a marriage that it's because the horoscopes said that they were going to happen. And I think that sometimes when you read horoscopes, it puts a seed in your mind. Like, okay, this is what's going to happen or this is not what's going to happen. Do you agree or no? You're all about reading the Kunlis. No, no, I'm not. Surprisingly, my dad is the one who's always told me to take it with a grain of salt, which is totally counterintuitive. But, you know, he's the one who's always like, listen, they have some insights. There's always something worth looking at. And it's worth, you know, trying to trying to believe on some level, but you shouldn't take it as fact, because otherwise, you know, you're going to be sitting there for the rest of your life and going, oh, well, you know, there's this problems and this is in the stars already. Or like you kind of resign yourself to this fate instead of taking it into your own hands, which is wrong and shouldn't be that way at all. So, um, yeah, I made it very clear. I'm like, if I'm getting married, there are no Kunleys, there are no horoscopes. We're not doing that shit because I'm not trying to plant a seed in anyone's head and I'm going to make marriage work no matter what. So you guys got to figure it out on your own, whether it's going to be a match or not. I don't think that my family does this, but there's definitely a lot of families in India who will look at horoscopes and if they don't match with there was it was an episode on this on made in heaven where they married her to a tree because she was a monglic and they were like trying to counter this astrology effect so it's definitely something that's very ingrained in families but i don't know if i necessarily believe in it but moving on and coming back to the kama sutra The fourth part is a little bit outdated, and honestly, it makes me a little bit angry, but it's talking about the duties of a wife, basically summarized as cooking, cleaning, and catering to the husband. This one-sided gender role may have been okay a million years ago, but I really think that this is the part of the text that needs to be revamped a little bit and maybe looked at in today's light and adjusted. The fifth part is something I think is very important, and that's talking about non-sexual intimacy. It includes understanding emotional sentiment and deepening that emotional bond and connection. I recently binge-watched this show on Netflix called Love is Blind, which the internet is crazy about, and it's a social experiment where single people are put into pods and they speed date without being able to see the person until they propose. The purpose of this experiment is to answer if you can truly love someone based on that emotional connection first. So check out the show to see how it all plays out, but it definitely definitely relates to that fifth part of the Kama Sutra because having a connection outside of just the physical one is so important. And they have that after, actually, once they're engaged. 
The fate of a futuristic desert kingdom rests in the hands of a princess desperate for power and an assassin with a dark secret in The Phoenix King by Barna Varma, a novel smoldering with politics, romance, morally gray characters, magic, and technology in an immersive Indian-inspired science fantasy world. This book from Hachette Book Group features jaw-dropping world-building, slow-burn romance, badass female queens, and gorgeous interior art. The Phoenix King was previously self-published as The Boy with Fire in August of 2021, but Orbit's newly revised and edited edition, complete with a new title, has been released and both the book and author are wildly popular on TikTok. It was also named one of the best new fantasies of 2023 by Pace Magazine, io9, and Pop Sugar, and it was named an Amazon Best Science Fiction and Fantasy of September slash an editor's pick. Check it out now at the links in our episode notes. I have to see that show still, but it's on my list. Also, you know what's funny? America comes out with this show, Love is Blind, but hello, we've been having arranged marriage for so many years, and that's an unknown concept to Americans, but hey, Love is Blind is out. Wow, this is such a great experiment. It's riveting television, what can we say? (laughs) We should have just started filming all of our parents and everybody else who had marriages before they saw one another. So the sixth part of the Kama Sutra is more men-centric. But it's about men using courtesans or prostitutes to build up their confidence before pursuing a wife, mending past relationships, attaining wealth, and finding a committed partner. And I'm all about the mending past relationships part because people should say they're sorry and be nice. But obviously, a committed relationship works for a lot of people too. But only men using courtesans or prostitutes to build up confidence is sexist as hell. One, why can't someone who identifies as women get some too? Two, Why does only a man need confidence? And three, why can't sex be for all genders? But on the other side, getting an education, having a settled life, being comfortable before you settle in for the ride, no pun intended. Can I really argue that part? I do have a question about this part of the Kama Sutra. In this text, they talk about infidelity and a man doing all these cheating things and getting over it to be with the one that he loves. But infidelity does not match with our definition of the Kama Sutra earlier. Doesn't that affect the Dharma, virtue, truth part? So, yeah, actually, I don't think that that interpretation is correct because I was having a conversation with my dad and a bunch of his friends who are all Vedic scholars, and they were all saying that there is actually a part in old Hindu scripture that says that a wife can leave her husband if he's sleeping around. Oh, no consequence. Yes. Women leave that man. Fidelity is a thing and it's supposed to be honored. And so there's definitely ways for women to get out of that situation. Um, according to, you know, Vedic writings anyway, I don't know if that's really how it's been working, obviously with the social (laughs) stigma, that's not exactly how it goes, but you know, According to Hinduism, you can. And, you know, it's just, I agree with you. I think that it's really, really mind-boggling that all of these things have gotten so mutated not to follow these four pillars anymore. And using courtesans or prostitutes and building up confidence, like, isn't that just promiscuity, which goes against integrity, theoretically? I mean, yeah, that's I don't know, but at the same time, I'm all for empowerment, right? Like, it's one thing if it's you know, consensual or whatever. But in that case, why is it only men and not female? I feel like there's a lot of loopholes with the four pillars because it kind of favors when you're building yourself and building up that confidence and being a better person. But then you can have all these mistakes to kind of build to it. 
Yeah, but let's be real. The patriarchy is real, too, and all of these mistakes favor dudes. So, Yep, facts. But lastly, the Kama Sutra finishes with a section on sexual myths, legends, and practices to keep things exciting. These include things like personal grooming, the use of perfumes and essential oils, and how to get past sexual dysfunction, and so much more. Overall, I do think the Kama Sutra has some great insights, but I also feel like you can get those insights from Cosmopolitan or Vogue or any sex magazine for that sort. But what makes the Kama Sutra special to you? I disagree with you. I think that Cosmo and all of these holy Bibles of magazines are sort of only capturing some pieces when they write articles like 20 ways to please your partner and they talk about different sexy positions. I mean, they're missing this aspect of confidence. They're missing why people aren't confident. They're missing and don't capture why intimacy has to be involved. And they don't talk about making your partner feel super comfortable. Not everybody is born with insane confidence and the ability to go wild in bed whenever. So I think these articles only get a part of the experience, whereas the Kama Sutra has these great insights into the entire aspect. And to argue with you, actually, I think that magazines have come a long way. If you pull up any Cosmo now or any one of these magazines current present day, you'll notice that they actually have like how to build up your self-confidence, how to say no, how to please a man and have him please you back. And I think that's because also the generations have just changed a lot and time has changed to now favor women and make women the forefront of things. And so I do think that, that they have changed a lot. But it's so funny because now we're looking at these sort of journalistic endeavors that talk about how they're super, super inclusive. But was the Kama Sutra inclusive? Yeah, was it? (laughs) A common misconception of the Kama Sutra is that because it was written a million years ago, it lacks inclusivity. While it may be a little sexist due to the gender roles way back when, it actually does address homosexual relationships. There's a few verses that talk about oral sex between two men, two women. They also have transgenderism in it, uh, cross-dressing, and so much more. So would you say that the Kama Sutra is a feminist book? I wouldn't really call it a feminist book in the strictest sense because it doesn't really argue for women's rights. And also it addresses men in this holy light when it comes to adultery or manipulating women to get what they want. But, but, but I do think the book highlights equal claim to sexual pleasure, a woman's right to live with a husband who is compatible with her interests and talents and a woman's right to orgasm. The book actually says that the woman's climax should happen first and so much more. And that to me hits that feminist spot. It was definitely timely. I mean, when you look at the time, sexuality, at least the way that we learned it and the way that we think about it, it wasn't really accepted as a wide subject in terms of having a variety of sexualities and how to cater to that. So it was revolutionary. Or maybe that's just how we interpreted old age India and we just didn't really understand what they had thought about it. It is feminist in a few surprising ways. A 2016 article in Bustle pointed out that Quote, though there weren't many opportunities for financial independence for women in ancient India, the Kama Sutra is very open-minded about the options that they did have, such as women's access to household funds. In the Kama Sutra, the woman has absolute power in running the household's finances. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, isn't it fascinating? You wouldn't think that, given that patriarchy and sexism is rampant in South Asian culture, and it's really skewed a lot of different things that old cultures did practice and ancient days people did practice. Of course, there are some negative sides to all of that, too. Women didn't come out of the house very often either. So, you know, there's definitely some negative sides to everything. But there's also things that we just don't know that are really, really common misconceptions. 
And you would think that given how old this book is, that men would be the breadwinners, so they would be controlling the money. But really cool to hear that the woman had absolute financial control. But the biggest question for us today is why is the Kama Sutra relevant today? What's the purpose of having it around? And I think there are a few parts to that question. One being that it teaches us how to control the dark side of sexual impulse and respect the feelings of our partner. Two being it helps us get in touch with our own sexual nature and pleasure. And this might be a stretch. But three, it cautions men against uncontrolled sexuality that can also cross that line that can be known as rape. I disagree with your last portion there and that last point because there is one part that is disturbingly rapey. It suggests that women's protests and resistance should be taken as a sign of real passion, which is, you know, basically every rapist's kind of argument for why it's okay. (laughs) Good God. Yeah, she wanted it. So that took me by surprise because the book is generally favorable to women's pleasure, but that it just kind of reflected this dark side of culture that's carried through the generations and through the years. Do you think that's because rape culture has changed so much throughout the years? I don't want to get too deep into this, but you know, with the Me Too movement and openly talking about it more in today's era, do you think people lack those insights in the past? Therefore, it was written in the book as kind of, okay, just do what you want. Get on that woman. It's okay if she says no. It's tough to really be able to, I like to say no is no, no matter what. That's the mentality that I've always had and that I've been raised with. And so I want to stand by that. But just to play devil's advocate, if you're looking back, you know, the idea of being a woman being coy, if you watch old Bollywood movies, it used to be like that too. Oh no, don't kiss me. Don't do that. Don't do that. And it was taken as the sign to come on to them. They were just being coy. They were just being shy about it. So I wouldn't be surprised if that same mentality carried back a thousand years ago to when this book was written. But then likewise, war crimes are a real thing. So what happened when prisoners and the women in communities that you conquered said no, was that still considered passion or those crimes considered something different? So you kind of thread, you kind of tread a fine line there. And I would still say no means no, regardless what generation you're part of. Completely agreed. But Going back to the Kama Sutra and all of the benefits of it and the sexual positions, I was actually reading this article in Times of India about a woman who did an experiment where she followed the Kama Sutra for a week with her husband. And I actually found it really insightful. We'll link it in our bio later, but she starts out by saying her day one consisted of synchronized breathing. Day two consisted of the different kinds of embraces, different hugs. Day three was the different kisses, and that eventually led up to the variety of positions. Her whole takeaway from this was that it was more than sex. It was the dynamics of love with the combination of breathing, touching, staring, and really just connecting with your partner. She claimed she witnessed a positive change in her relationship. So what are your thoughts about this woman's experience? Would you give it a shot with your partner? I love that. I want to read that article too. I would 100% give it a shot. It's all about learning what you like and don't like and figuring out what changes, not only the physical part, but just the mental approach around sex. And I mean, I'd be more than willing to find out more about myself through the process. It only empowers me to speak up and to be able to assert myself and to be able to say I like this or I don't like that and to give me more confidence, which is the whole point, right? So hopefully it would give my partner the same opportunity to grow in those same kind of aspects and be able to say yes or no, or I want this or I don't like this. Would you do it? 
Absolutely. I think that it's so cool that you can be intimate without really being fully intimate. So it's like that woman mentioned, just staring and the hugging and the kissing. Just see like what you're into. Maybe you like neck kisses. Maybe you don't. Maybe you like lip biting. I don't know. But it's it'll be like a really cool way just to learn about your partner and learn about yourself and how you can make your sex life better at the end of the day. I mean, think about it. Whatever people ha- talk about, I, for example, on Friends, whenever, was it Joey? God, I'm going to sound like an idiot now because I can't call it. But (laughs) there was um, one of the friends has like an all night conversation. And Monica's like, Joey, you had the night. You had that night where you guys talked all night. And so I think that that's a really big form of intimacy, sharing your childhood experiences in a good way, talking about them, laughing. There's so many forms of intimacy that can enhance the sexual experience outside of just the act itself, right? So I think that the Kama Sutra really encourages that. And I think if you take it to heart and not just see it as like the wild sex book, then it's totally enjoyable and it'll only help you grow. I also think that it has to be a team effort. Both the partners need to be equally invested in each other and growing and learning. And therefore, I think reading a book like this together, seeing the positions, learning about personal grooming and all of that as a couple is would be a really cool experiment even just to see what you can do. Absolutely. It is one of those things that I would highly recommend that every couple try and do and I don't know, going forward with my friends, that's something I would definitely say is a way to reconnect and a way to make things a little bit more interesting. And not you don't really even have to push your boundaries a whole lot. I mean, talking or whispering or like you said, neck kisses or lip biting, those are huge stretches of comfort for most people, right? Those are just little tweaks that you have to do. So in that case, why not? Who Who's to say that that's like really, you know, a weight in the bedroom, right? But obviously, sex is a personal decision, and we're going to reiterate that before we close out. But if you're paired up, looking for ways to reconnect with your partner, or just trying to find out things to do, pun intended, during this quarantine time, you may have found a way with the Kama Sutra. What are your thoughts? Do you agree? Disagree? Have you done some research on your own and you want a shot? Shoot us a DM or email us at thewokefacey on Instagram or thewokefacey at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. And as we always say, get woke and stay woke. This is the Woke Daisy.